Hello and welcome to another episode of the Godly Grunt Podcast, where we train soldiers to be better Christians and Christians to be better soldiers. I am your host, John Cooper, and uh, this is the last episode in our series, Voting with an Open Bible. Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, this series as we lead up to the election, um, which should be taking place. Um, this will be released, what, on the 30th? It should be taking place the next week, so... Um, I encourage you all to get out and vote. Um, I, we have a privilege in this country to, uh, actually see change, uh, by our vote and vote in people who we agree with. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people who, you know, especially I live in New York. So in New York state, there is an opinion (laughs) that, um, our votes never matter because the state's going to go blue anyways. So a lot of people don't go and vote. However, if you don't vote, you know, don't complain about who's in office. Uh, So yeah, that's just, that's my little thing on voting. I may be doing a, an actual episode on voting. The biblical responsibility and leadership of a country would be good, but too late for that. <laughs> so, so uh, this is again the last episode uh, in this series. Uh, the topic for today is is one that I found very interesting, and anyone who listens to this podcast uh, would probably find interesting as well. And that is gun control. Uh, what does the Bible have to say about gun control? And this is a highly debated topic um, in recent months. Amongst people and, and even Christians have been on the opposite sides of the issue of firearms and gun control. And there are two sides to this coin. Heads is a well-armed society can quell any violence done to them and their neighbor from potential threats, both criminal and from tyrannical governing authorities. In tails is that citizens should not be allowed to have weapons of war for hunting or even protection because they can use it to inflict great damage uh, around them. And even in Christian uh, circles, uh, this has been, we've seen both sides. I think it was together for the gospel brought out a, uh, had a debate on this issue. Uh, So either together for the gospel or gospel coalition, they had a debate on this issue. Um, A guy from each side and even, you know, John Piper, I remember him saying some things kind of against uh, firearms for citizens, if I remember correctly, or at least sympathizing more with a gun control uh, side. I mean, it's very easy and simplistic to think that if you just take guns off the street that, or not guns off the street, but you just take guns away from everyone that everyone's just not going to find guns. (laughs) It's just kind of a, you know, this is not a very, logical thought process but just because you don't know how to find them doesn't mean that other people don't know how to find them (laughs) so uh you know with these these two main arguments uh there's a right uh wreck from god recognized by our civil government to keep and bear arms one side wants to keep that right and the other would love to abolish it but since in this country it's nearly impossible they would settle for limiting it as far as they can one size side says I should be able to buy and own a tank. And the other says I should be able to have a gun, but only with one round of ammunition. <laughs> and 
And depending on what kind of state you live in, that depends on what type of firearms you can own uh, or at least are willing to say in public uh, what you own (laughs) or on a recorded device. Um, New York State is one of the strictest uh, gun regulating states out there are we're not even allowed to um, own AR-15s because because of the way they look. And that's really what just has been said. This is because they look like this and you, um, you can buy the state approved AR 15 and it looks like a gun from star Wars. I mean, it, it's just, it's insane, but that's their, in their view, they're doing the right thing. Um, and that's how, that's how they get around it. So uh, our founders' thoughts and the founders of this country thought that owning weapons to provide and defend was a right from God. It was something that God uh, gave us. Now, it must also be recognized that the technology did not prohibit the ownership of weapons. And at that time, private citizens owned cannons and battleships along with muskets. So anyone who says, well, they just had muskets back then, that's why this law's in place. Well, no, they had all the same war technology Um, in the hands of private citizens of means. And much of the argument for gun control or the confiscation of firearms is because of the advancement of technology. So the question is, is owning a firearm a freedom given by God, even though they didn't have AR-15s in Bible times? Or was this something that the founders made up and slapped God's name onto it, like a fish bumper sticker, and it... and you know, most people would agree because, you know, well, God's name's on it. <laughs> so what 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 happened? What did what do the founders think? What what is what does the Bible say about this issue? Because this series is as we're wrapping it up is voting with an open Bible. And as Christians, we should always be going to the word of God to see what it says. I, I don't care what Fox News or CNN tells me about these issues or what a political debate. I don't care that the Republican Party or Democratic Party can can send me a list of of issues and how I should vote on them, even from the history of this country. I want to know what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about this? And so the real issue with firearms isn't hunting, isn't shooting sports, it's self-defense. Does God and the Bible allow Christians to defend themselves? And another question that must be asked about firearms is who in the Bible does God allow to take and bear arms? Is it just the government or does God approve of armed citizens as well? And lastly, I would like to look at whether there are examples in scripture of what happens when a government disarms a population. What happens when the civil leaders take away the weapons? Is there an example of that in scripture? And so the first topic we're going to look at is whether Christians are allowed to protect themselves with weapons. And I would say the answer is yes. So in in our Bibles, Exodus 22, 1 to 4 says this, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltness on his account. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltness on his account. 
he shall surely make restitution. If he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If what he stole is actually found alive in his hands, whether it's an ox or a donkey, he shall pay double. So this is part of God's law. And as we know, there's the threefold division of the law, right? There's the uh, the civil law, which is what we're looking at here, of Israel. There's the ceremonial law, which has all been fulfilled in Christ. And there is also the moral law, which we are still as Christians uh, under to follow and, and commanded to follow by Christ. And so here what we're seeing is a man comes to steal something. And if you kill him in self-defense, there's no punishment for you. God does not consider it to be blood guilt for a man defending his, not only himself and his family, but defending his property. And the same line of logic goes into defending your family or neighbor and family. If we are to love our wives and children as, and our neighbors as ourselves, then in this case, defending them, would we should be able to do so. Shepherds defend their flocks. I'm the shepherd of my family. How am I to defend them if I'm not armed? And in the law of God, there's nothing that says you have to be so many levels, excuse me, down down from what the government has, right? The government can own an F-16 and, you know, as a Christian, thou shalt own, you know, just a prop plane, <laughs> right? That, that's not what it says. There's nothing that says you have to be under what the government has. Rather, there's this blanket ability to equally defend yourself. And we need to apply that same principle in our thinking to our neighbor. Protect the poor and needy, deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. And so um, we look at this passage, and we, and we also want to look at what, what, what's the, you know, because with these civil laws, and, you know, I know there's a big debate out there about theonomy, especially now. Um, I'm like a, a semi-theonomist, I guess you could say, because if God gives us laws, right, to govern ourselves, then his laws are the best laws out there, <laughs> right? Um, however, there are also, we, we're in a society um, where we need to bring these laws into being and we need to figure out what exactly they're saying and apply them to our time. And so, for instance, here, um, I, I wouldn't say that this is to be taken extremely literally where only if a man steals an ox or a sheep, right? No, this is... Uh, or, or donkey, but this is also anything that the man owns, right? <laughs> so, you know, I don't own an ox, sheep, or donkey. I own a dog. So I don't think that this, you know, not to say, well, Exodus 22 doesn't apply to my house. I don't own a sheep. I guess I got to go buy one. No. Um, I think right here, what we're seeing is, is that a man, a thief comes in to my house. I have the ability to defend myself, but I'm also going to use uh, means in which you know, if he comes, if a, if a man wanders into my house, I'm not going to shoot him immediately upon entry. Um, I'm going to warn him that he is now in a house of an armed gentleman and that I will defend my family. And if he does not take these warnings seriously, uh, if he does not run when he hears the pump of a shotgun, 
um, then I'm going to kill him. I think that when we see the sun has risen on him, uh, we're, we're seeing that, you know, if you have the means of, here, it's like, if you can see the guy and you can see that he's just there to steal the, um, the, uh, the sheep or oxen, you know, you confront him and let him go. You don't just kill him because he came into your home. Now, you know, I live in a right outside of a pretty dangerous area. And so, you know, if someone came into my home um, at night, loud noises, I'm going to say, you better get out now or die. And if they continue to aggress, well, then there we have it. The, the game is on. But if they have the means and I've warned them to get out of my home, um, you know, I need to give them the ability to egress and go somewhere else and file a police report and go about it that way. I shouldn't want to just kill them immediately. And I think that's what we see here um, as well. And, you know, obviously we're not going to sell people into slavery <laughs> if they steal something from us and they're poor. Um, that's not what, what, that's again, not an application we're supposed to take, but we're supposed to take, okay, from now on, he's going to follow the rest of the law uh, of the land um, to do that. So the question is, is that, well, this was the law for the nation of Israel. Like we talked about, this is a threefold division of the law. This is not a moral law. So does it still apply today? And though we gain insight from ceremonial and uh, judicial laws, we do not follow them anymore. So does Jesus talk about Christians owning weapons? What does Jesus say about it? And in Luke 22, 35 to 38, he says this, and he said to them, when I sent you out without money belt or bag and sandals, did you lack anything? And he said, not a thing. And he said to them, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also a bag and whoever has no sword should sell his garment and buy one. For I tell you that this is written, uh, must be uh, completed in me that what is, excuse me, that, <clears throat> that this, which is written shall be completed in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for that, which he refers to me has its completion. And, and they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, that is enough. Here we have a command from Jesus to his disciples to go out and buy weapons. Now, according to the book, the divine right of resistance, um, during this time, it was illegal for the Jews to have weapons because of previous rebellions. And you can kind of get a hint of this in scripture. Whenever they come to arrest uh, Jesus, the Roman soldiers have the swords and the Jews have the clubs, right? <laughs> so so there, there seems to have been some sort of you see this throughout the Gospels, and unless I'm wrong, uh, from my I didn't, but right before this podcast, I didn't go through and do an in depth study of every time swords are mentioned in the Gospels. Maybe I should have, but it seems as if anyone who has this kind of weaponry is Roman, and the Jews had clubs and that kind of stuff. So, again, there we go the lesser weapons, right? Well, Jesus here tells them to buy swords which would have been against if 
if the book Divine Right of Resistance, the historian in that book, concludes correctly, um, that at this time it was illegal for the Jews to own uh, swords and those kind of weapons, um, Jesus would be telling his disciples uh, to break the law. Well, it says here that, that he did. He did it to be numbered with the transgressors. So he armed his disciples and had no problem with them carrying because, because they, they were now transgressors. But in reality, he was already known as someone who was a transgressor by the Jewish leaders. Right? I mean, they, they, say, they say that, um, you know, here we have two. I mean, it's, they already had concealed swords uh, with them. So another thing to think about in the scripture passage is God would never order someone to sin nor tempt them to do so. And that's what we see in the Bible. So if Jesus was to do this, especially if it was illegal at the time to have weapons, wouldn't he be violating what the word says? Well, it would not if arming yourself wasn't a sin in the first place and the governing authorities were the ones who were sinning by not allowing people to be armed. So here Jesus approves of people being armed. I do not believe this is an order for all of us to follow that we must be armed at all times. I do not believe that. However, there's the principle here that God cannot command people to sin he wanted to be numbered with the transgressors to fulfill scripture. And so he chooses to have a quote-unquote sin, as we would call it today, to not follow the government in this. Um, and uh, and tells them to, to get weapons. So either Christ is telling his disciples to sin or being armed, is not a sin, and it's not a sin to be armed to defend yourself. Um, because that is really why the disciples would need swords, right? Before they didn't need anything. But now, they need to be able to defend themselves. But something to consider here, uh, before we move on to our second point, is that at not at all times are we to preserve our own lives. Uh, I believe if someone is coming in to rob me, to take my family, um, you know, to to cause my family harm, or or my neighbor for that instance, um, then I have the duty to defend myself and my family. However, to suffer for the name of Christ is among the greatest honors we can ever have. So to be persecuted for his name's sake is that's what we that's what we should not strive for, but that's what we should be willing to do. I mean, the the martyrs of all time, you know, when they were being dragged away, they were amazed that they would they would be considered worthy to die for the name of our Lord. And so we shouldn't be so quick to defend our own lives. Um, out of a sense of preservation 
when there are times where our suffering for Christ magnifies the gospel even more. And I think if they were rounding up Christians and they were coming to my workplace to take me away, there's an instance where we should not resist. <clears throat> we should say, okay, this is this is what's said is going to happen by scripture, um, that we would be persecuted. And so here we go. You know, it, it is, we are worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Um, so I, uh, I think that we need to keep that in, in mind. I do think that the spirit would, would lead and, uh, and make clear what we're to do in that time. Um, if we follow his promptings, if I, if they are coming from my family, I will defend my family um, because I am the, the defender of that home. I am the shepherd of that home. Uh, however, if they're coming from me, especially for the case of Christ, uh, I think that here's an instance where it's time not to fight. It's time to, to be martyred and to suffer for his name. And I think that looks different for everyone. I think everyone needs to follow what's being led at that time. But that's something we need to consider because as we're talking about self-defense, as we're talking about gun control, um, we have a responsibility to suffer for Christ. However, we shouldn't want to have a country that will persecute Christians or anyone for that matter. Um we should want to have a country where citizens are free so and don't fear their expression without you know criminalization unless that expression is is utterly sinful um so i think that we need to come to a, an understanding that defending what we have as a nation and making sure we stay a semi-Christian nation um, is important, and it should be defended. Uh, we should be looking out for our neighbors uh, and, and defending them from enemies, both foreign and domestic. However, we shouldn't put our lives and our freedom in such high esteem that we would not be willing to suffer for Christ. So this comes with a balance. And our second question is, who is allowed to be armed by, uh, by God? Who, who, does, who does he allow to be armed as we observe his scripture? And you know, we kind of see here that Jesus commands the disciples to be armed. Um, the disciples were not soldiers. But specifically in Romans 13... The government is given the sword to pour out God's wrath on evildoers. The question is, can regular citizens wield the same sword? And here are two of the main examples from Scripture. Nehemiah 4, 15-18. Now it happened that when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had thwarted their counsel, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. 
And it happened that from that day on, half of my young men carried on, carried on the work, while half of them took hold of spears and shields and bows and breastplate and the breastplates. And the commanders were behind the whole, <clears throat> excuse me, behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand while doing the work and the other holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeter stood near me. So Nehemiah had taken soldiers with him to rebuild Jerusalem. That's Nehemiah 2.9. So he's taking from, you know, from Persia, and he's going down there with, with soldiers. So this verse does not apply to those soldiers. Rather, during and after this time of attack, Nehemiah ensures that everyone is armed for defending for, for their defense during this time. And <clears throat> it is an armed citizenry that we see here. So we're seeing an armed citizenry. And a more clear example is in Esther uh, chapter 8. And Haman goes along with his plot. He's exposed and he's killed. And Mordecai and Esther plead to the king to defend the Jews who are about to be destroyed because Haman's already put this plan in motion. If you're, if you're familiar with Esther, if you're familiar with Esther, Haman puts this plot together to kill the Jews. Uh, Mordecai, you know, gets wind of this, this plot. He's trying to stop it. And he's going through Esther, who is the queen who won being queen through like a beauty pageant. <laughs> and, um, and so now, they're, they're trying to stop it, and it can't be stopped. It says, and he wrote, this is, this is Esther 8, verses 10 to 11, and he wrote in the name of King Asherus and sealed it with the king's signet ring and sent letters by the hand of couriers. So this is uh, Mordecai, riding on steeds and seared by the royal stud. In them, the king gave the Jews who were in each and every city the right to assemble and make a stand for their lives to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish the entire military force of any people or province which would act as their adversaries, including little ones and women, and to plunder their spoil. The citizens were allowed to defend themselves, not just the governing officials. So this is seen in other parts of scripture as well. And so we see in these three, in these examples, um, that there are, are three reasons to be defend to, to defend yourself, and that's defending your family and property, defending against foreign invaders, and defending against tyranny. And those are the three examples that we've looked at. And so um now, when you're when you're looking at uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're looking at narrative in the scriptures, you have to you you know it's not all of it's uh, this is thou shalt do, um, thus says the Lord. A lot of it is just description of what's going on. And so, what we can see from this though is that God is blessing these efforts uh, for defending family and property, which was the law. So God commands defending against foreign invaders, which is seen as a positive thing in the, in, in Nehemiah. And defending against tyranny that the Jews are able to defend themselves. That is a positive thing in the word of God in these descriptions, in these narratives. So I don't think that it is 
out of line to say that we learn that from these stories in Scripture. What I do want to say is that so much, you know, you look at guys who own weapons, and this is this is coming from the military background. You look at guys who own weapons in the civilian sector, and they got all the Gucci gear. They got the coolest plate carriers. They got the coolest nods. They got the coolest weapons. Um, stuff that, you know, we weren't able to use in the military, and they buy in the, the civilian sector. And they look really cool and they train a lot with their weapon. But there are things that they're missing <laughs> in combat and that shoot, move, communicate. I've seen so many guys that are really good at shooting, but can't run a mile. They're really good at shooting. They got all the, they got thousands of rounds of ammo. But in an actual combat situation, they wouldn't be able to communicate where they are. And they would not be able to move. If you really want to be an effective warfighter, you got to be in shape. You got to be in shape. You don't got to be, you know, an NFL athlete. <laughs> but you got to be able to do some basic physical activity. You got to be able to walk up the stairs without huffing and puffing. You got to be able to uh, run from cover to cover. You got to be able to communicate. You got to be able to communicate with the guy that you're fighting with. So that way you don't accidentally shoot your buddy. And another thing I think that we miss is that whenever people think about defending their their society around them, they automatically think about um, shooting, which is proper to think about, but they forget about the whole medical side of things. Goodness sakes, learn how to use a tourniquet. Learn how to use a basic um, IFAC, which was the med little med kit they gave us, and it's got basic stuff in it. Combat gauze, uh, NPA, NCD, and it's got that kind of stuff that you can use very quickly, a chest seal, to help someone in a situation. We live in a country now where, you know, our you know, we've, we've we looked at already here that we've been given over to a depraved mind. And because of that, we have people who go and shoot, shoot up schools and stuff like that. So we're at a point where that's where our society is. And we need to be able to help people in those situations. I've often thought about doing some like good Samaritan training and calling it that. Or we learn how to use a tourniquet. We learn how to use a chest seal. Um, very basic things that could help save someone's life in a school shooting or in a shooting on the street. I mean, where I work, you know, guys have been murdered right outside of our, right outside of the Niagara Gospel Mission because of the area we're in. Um, Never fear, it's only at night that that kind of stuff happens. So during the day, you're fine, uh, as in most cities. But uh, yeah, I mean, dangerous things happen. And we need to look at how are we to better effectively help people. You know, only one guy gets to do the shooting. Um, in a situation like this, you got to be right there at that time. But if I hear gunshots down the road, and I run towards them, 
with some life-saving interventions. That's more likely what's going to happen than you being the guy in the moment. You're still trained to be the guy in the moment. And that moment matters. But man, work on your medical. Work on your medical. Get a tourniquet. Get a chest seal. And just figure out how to use it. (laughs) Or call someone like me in your congregations uh, to help you figure it out. So last thing, the last question we deal with is what happens when the government takes away the weapons? And is there a place in scripture where this happens? And the answer is yes. In 1 Samuel 13, 19 to 22. Now no blacksmith could be found in all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords and spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines, each to sharpen his own plowshare, his mat, matok, mat, mattock, his axe, and his goad. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for a plowshare and the mattocks and the forks and the axes and to fix the goad. So it happened on the day of battle that neither sword nor spear was found in the hands of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and his son, Jonathan. So there was a weapons ban on the people of Israel when the Philistines had taken over. Because they knew that if the people were armed, they couldn't tyrannize them. Weapons bans are not about protecting citizens, but rather keeping them under oppression. The Philistines did not put this weapons ban in place so that the Israelites would be safe. Rather, as we see here, it was to keep them under the boot of their oppression. So we must be weary when a civil entity says that they will limit or take away weapons. Let's be very weary of that. We have to wonder why. You know, the best way to kill an unright or to prevent an unrighteous man with a gun is a righteous man with one. It's very simple. Here, they even took away the blacksmiths, and they had to go to the Philistines now to sharpen their their tools. So they made money off of it too. All this being run by the quote unquote civil authority. So the human heart is totally and radically depraved without Christ intervening. The only way to stop an unrighteous person with a gun is a righteous person with one. And this has been proven time and time again. I'm amazed that people think that if you just have a law, that people are going to follow it. Murder is illegal and against God's moral law. Yet it happens. Last I checked, murder was illegal in the United States of America, in New York State. Yet it happens. And even if if there were no weapons, like Cain, the human heart would still murder. He'd find a way. And we see that all over the place. And these quote-unquote common sense gun laws are asinine. They don't help the situation. Taking a weapon away from good people (laughs) does not help keeping them out of the hands of bad people. And another thing I might add, in New York State, it is now illegal to carry a firearm in a uh, church. 
Tell me how that makes any sense. How can the government dictate who can carry what into a church building? Maybe it's because we allowed them to dictate what we wore in church just a year ago. Maybe it's because we allowed them to dictate how many people could come in and worship in our churches. That now the state of New York feels empowered enough to say, well, we could dictate how they worshipped, telling them they couldn't sing. We could dictate what they wore in worship, telling them to wear a mask that didn't do anything. We could dictate how close they were allowed to be to each other in worship. We couldn't give a handshake or the right hand of fellowship. So we'll tell them they can't be armed in churches. We'll see how many churches just follow what we say. Last I checked, Christ was the head of the church. And he is king of kings and lord of lords, not the government. We have allowed the state to usurp its authority into areas it's not allowed to do so. It is the individual family and church that is to shepherd and protect those who they're responsible to do so. And with ramping up persecution for churches and the overturning of Roe v. Wade, 70 pregnancy centers were attacked, not one arrest made. Pregnancy centers in New York, like Compass Care and Amherst, right near us. And for our lawmakers to say that people are not allowed to carry weapons in their churches and pregnancy centers, it's clear. Not allowed to have weapons there to defend yourself although 70 of them were attacked by a terrorist organization called Jane's Revenge. No arrests have been made. It's not only ignorant and dangerous, but it is out of their sphere of the doctrine of sphere sovereignty, which we've discussed in previous sessions. The civil magistrate does not have the right given to them by God to dictate what happens in churches. That authority has been given to elders, pastors, and deacons, and they don't have the right to dictate what you do in your family, and that is given to the Father. And so, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the series. I enjoyed studying for it and teaching at my church, um, and I've enjoyed talking about it here. So if you want to find us on Facebook, you can look up The Godly Grunts. On Instagram, we are at The Godly Grunts. You can email me uh, to discuss this or anything at thegodlygrunt at gmail.com. Uh, our website is thegodlygrunts116.wixsite.com slash my-site. I do have to find the time to edit that site. Um, there's some changes that need to be made. So uh, feed it, we are part of the Fide Fellowship of podcasts. So you can go to thefidefellowship.com to uh, get a, a better look at what that and what that entails. Um, it's a great group of guys, Carpe Fide, who we've had on here. Uh, as part of that, uh, the first and third Monday of every month, we have a uh, support group, veteran support group that meets at Niagara Community Church, which is one of the, which is the church that I'm a pastor at. Um, you can support homeless veterans with us at uh, 
Niagara Gospel Mission. So you can go to Niagara Gospel Mission, go to the Donate Today page, and uh, it takes $25 a day to support the homeless veterans we have in our Liberty Suite, which is a emergency shelter for homeless vets. We also do the support group and help them get the services uh, for being a veteran. So I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this episode. Uh, please feel free to reach out to me via social media or uh, email. And again, please support the homeless vets at the Niagara Gospel Mission. And so with all that, uh, until next time, I we've enjoyed the series. It'll be a couple weeks now. We're going to go back to our normal two weeks uh, to release an episode. I just want to get all these out before the election. And so until next time, climb for his glory.